morning we're going to continue our study in Colossians, so let me invite you to take your Bibles and turn there, Colossians chapter 1. After receiving a report from Epaphras on the state of the church in Colossae, Paul opens his letter to them by telling them that he thanks God for them. And so last week when we looked at that text, I encourage you to make that a regular habit um, for how you, how you uh, talk to God, that is to give thanks to God for your brothers and sisters in Christ. Thank God for the positive work that he has done in them. And then the second way that we apply that is by telling one another that we're thankful to God for them. So how did it go this week? Did you spend some time thanking God for specific believers by name? For the work that God had done in them? Did you tell anyone that you were thankful to God for them? Well, it's important to thank God for one another. That's why Paul begins that way. But it should, should not be all that we do in our prayers to God. And that's what we're going to see this morning, that we should also pray for one another. There should be specific things that we are praying for one another about. And Paul, by his example here, teaches us how to pray for each other. And as we study through this section, consider what kind of things currently fill up your prayer time. When you're talking about other believers, what kind of things are you praying about? Now, let me be clear that there's nothing off limits to pray about. And God wants us to pray and give thanks in everything. And so there's nothing that we shouldn't be praying about. But, but what I'm talking about is the majority of your time. The main focus of our prayer should be what is prescribed for us in Scriptures. And so consider your prayer in light of what Paul prays for here in Colossians 1. I'm going to begin reading in verse 9. Would you follow along as I read? This is the Word of God. For this reason also, since the day we heard of it, we have not ceased to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of His will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding so that you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord to please Him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to His glorious might for the attaining of all steadfastness and patience, joyously giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. For He rescued us from the domain of darkness and He transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son in whom we have redemption the forgiveness of sins. Here, we see that our great prayer for one another should be for spiritual knowledge. That's the main point that Paul has in this text. That our, the primary way that we pray for one another is for their spiritual knowledge. And I think that's the primary way we should pray for ourselves as well. So we see this in, in two ways. First, Pray for spiritual knowledge for one another. We ought to pray for spiritual knowledge for one another in verses 9 through 12. And then secondly, we should consider what we have in Christ. So first, pray for spiritual knowledge for one another. When Paul heard from Epaphras the report of the Colossian believers, 
he began in verse 3 to thank God for them. And then he told them about his thanksgiving for them. And Paul's prayer here now serves as a model for us as to how we can pray for one another. The first thing that we see in this prayer is the occasion for Paul's prayer. What is the occasion? Notice verse 9. For this reason also. The first thing that we should notice here is, is the occasion for why Paul was praying. Paul had received a report from Epaphras about their faith. Look back up at verse 7. Just as you learned it, that is this grace of God in truth, you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow bondservant. So you've learned of this, this faith. And that leads Paul to thank God for them and now to pray for increased faith. And so that's the occasion. Paul hears a report and he wants to respond by giving thanks to God and, for, and by praying for them. The second thing we see in verse 9 is the frequency of Paul's prayer. The frequency of Paul's prayer. He says, For this reason also, since the day we heard of it, we have not ceased to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled. So he, sa- he says, We have not ceased. This is similar to, I think, what Paul is saying in verse 3 when he says, Praying always for you. Now, I don't think that he means here that he's praying every waking hour for the Colossians. And I know that because he, he says in other epistles that he prays for other things. So uh, that's not the point. That he, Every single waking hour he prays for the Colossians. Rather, I think he's saying regularly. My regular pattern is to pray for you. And when I pray for you, I thank God for you. And I also pray for this one thing. He's going to talk about here in just a minute. So whenever I have my normal prayer time, I pray for you. This is my pattern to include you in my prayers. Is that something that you can say about your fellow believers here in this church? That you have not stopped praying for them. That you regularly spend time in focused prayer to God for your fellow believers. Do you regularly spend time praying for their spiritual well-being? Or is it just, you know, when the church asks me to on Wednesday night or, or just when I think about it or when conflict arises, that's when I really start praying? Can you say with Paul, I have not ceased to pray for Ambassador Baptist Church, not just the church as a whole, but specific people by name. Sometimes we think of our ministry to the church as primarily something we do in public. You know, I am a teacher. I am a preacher. I am a greeter. I, I provide this thing. Or, or, or maybe we think of our ministry to the church as something where we can add our name to a list, where we have our name next to some kind of position. Well, let me encourage you today that one of the best ways that you can serve our church and any church that you're ever a part of is to pray for fellow believers. One of the most fundamental ways that you show love is by praying for, for each other. Paul says, I have not stopped praying for you. It's been my pattern to continue to pray for you. And notice the content of his prayer. He says, we have not ceased to pray for you and to ask that you may be... Here's the main focus of his prayer for them. 
And we could describe it in this way, or we could, we could restate in this way. Filled with the knowledge of His will. This is His main prayer. Now, verses 3 through 8, I mentioned... Verses 3 through 8, I mentioned, uh, were one verse in the Greek language. So if you look at a Greek Bible, you'd see there's just one sentence. uh, I said one verse. One sentence, verses 3 through 8. The same thing is true about verses 9 through 14. It's simply one sentence. And so if we're going to um, understand this, we need to see what Paul's main thesis is. His main uh, clause is in the sentence. And the main clause is this. Paul prays for spiritual understanding. Paul prays for spiritual understanding. Everything else in verses 9 through 14 support this main idea. I pray for your spiritual understanding. And so, we've talked about the idea that we need to be praying for each other. But but what are we supposed to be praying about? And, And one of the best ways that you can pray for other believers when you pray for them is to pray that they would grow in their spiritual understanding. Remember when we looked at the overview of the book of Colossians, we saw that the false teachers were claiming that they had this higher wisdom that only could be found in them. That it was apart from Scripture. You see this in chapter 2 very clearly. But Paul's saying, no, wisdom is found in God. Pray that they would grow. Pray that, I pray that believers would grow in their spiritual understanding of God's will. So if we're going to have this understanding about God, it's not sourced in some teacher out there. It's not sourced in me. It's sourced in the Word of God. And Paul knows what we should know, and that is that there's no secret to the knowledge of God's will. There's no decoder ring that we need in order to understand the will of God. We simply need to go to His Word. God has revealed everything that He wants us to know about Him, about ourselves, about this world. He's revealed all of it to us. In His Word. We just have to go there. So what higher prayer can you have for your fellow Christian than to pray that they would be filled with the knowledge of God's will in all spiritual understanding? Specifically, I don't think Paul's talking about a specific, private, individual will of God. God's individual plan for me. Where do I go to school? Which house do I buy? So on. But rather, he's talking about the knowledge of God's will, this new expression of God's will, which is now found in Jesus Christ, that Jesus has come to this earth and He is our all in all. Paul prays for their spiritual knowledge. And how does this spiritual knowledge come? Notice the means of the spiritual knowledge at the end of verse 9. That you may be filled with the knowledge of His will, And here's how we receive this knowledge of His will. In all spiritual wisdom and understanding. The means of our spiritual knowledge is simply by growing in our understanding of the the Word. Our knowledge, our growth in God's knowledge will happen through the means of grace. So he says two ways that you get it. Through spiritual wisdom, and we can include spiritual in the second one. Spiritual understanding. Spiritual wisdom, spiritual understanding. Spiritual wisdom is very simply the ability to to grasp the principles of Scripture. That's what the Proverbs are all about. Here's some basic truths about life. Understand them. Apply them. Make sure you, you know how they relate to God and to yourself and to your spouse and so on. That's spiritual wisdom. The ability to grasp the principles of Scripture. Then spiritual understanding is simply the ability to apply those principles. 
Right? What good is knowledge if we simply have knowledge? It's more than that. We need to apply it to our lives. And so Paul's prayer is that we would understand the ramifications of the gospel in our lives, that, that we would grow in spiritual wisdom, that we would grow in spiritual knowledge through wisdom and understanding. So let's think about the value of this for ourselves today. At what point will we no longer need to pray in this way for our fellow Christian? At what point will we no longer need to pray for their spiritual knowledge, for that they would grow in the knowledge of God and all spiritual wisdom and understanding? And the answer is not in this lifetime, right? There's never going to be a point in this lifetime where we can stop praying for our fellow believers in this way. And so the point is, this, the reason that this is such a high and important prayer is because we can never grow old of it. We, we can never exhaust, you know what, that, that one's completely answered. It's always a progressive thing, isn't it? That we all, no matter how far we are in the Christian life, we all need to grow more in our spiritual knowledge, don't we? If we acknowledge that in ourselves, then certainly we must see that in other people as well, that they have not finished, they have not arrived. None of us have. And so we need people to pray for us with regard to our, the growth in our knowledge of God and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. This is the process of sanctification where we are growing from one level of glory to the next, where God is transforming us from being where we are now to the next level of spiritual life. And that only happens when we bathe ourselves in the Word through the prayers of other people. As people are praying for us, that that would happen. So again, this spiritual knowledge doesn't come through any mind-blowing way, does it? It simply comes as we, the means of our spiritual knowledge, is simply through spiritual wisdom and understanding. Going to the Scriptures, understanding them, and then applying them by the power of the Spirit. So why, why does Paul make this such an important prayer? Why does he say that I pray for you in this way? That you would grow in your spiritual knowledge and in, in, in the knowledge of His will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. What's so special about growing in our spiritual knowledge of the Gospel and its effect on our lives? In verse 10 we see the... I missed one there. Um... I guess I don't have it should, should say the purpose of spiritual knowledge, verse 10. The purpose of spiritual knowledge. And that, that is our worthy walk, that we would walk worthy, so that you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. So the main clause is Paul prays for spiritual knowledge. And the means is through understanding, wisdom and understanding, and the purpose of it is so that we will have a worthy walk. One of the purposes of this spiritual knowledge, it's really stated in two different ways. First, a worthy walk, and second, that we would be pleasing to God in every way. This worthy walk here is the goal of our sanctification. That is that our lives would be consistent with what God has called us to do. Because Ephesians 2.10 says, We were created in Christ Jesus for good works. So God created us for something, not just from something. Right, we focus on the from, I'm no longer going to hell, I'm going to heaven. But, but God also created us for something too, as well. 
right? He, he's also created us so that we would do good work, so that we would have a life of fruit and, and change. And so we need to pray for one another that we would have a worthy walk, that we would be growing in, in, in the knowledge of His will so that we would be called worthy or counted worthy of the walk that we have. Not that we earn our salvation. God says, now that I've looked at all the works that you've done, I can accept you into heaven. But rather, that, that if we have been changed, if God has done a work in us, then it will result in a worthy walk. And we will be counted worthy. Turn back to chapter 2, verse 6. Colossians 2, verse 6. And here we see the connection here between receiving Christ and walking in Christ. And Paul states it here as a command. He says, Therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him. So conduct yourself in a way that's consistent with what's happened to you. You no longer are enslaved to sin. You're no longer an enemy of God. You no longer are hateful and hating one another. So stop living that way. Live like you're a Christian. Because you are. That's what Paul's saying. Walk in a way that's worthy of what God's done for you. He's taken you out of bondage to sin and slavery and Satan. And He's brought you into His own kingdom, under His domain, like we're going to talk about here in verses 13 and 14 later. So start living like a child of a king. Walk worthy of your calling. Paul prays for that. This is why I want to see them grow in their, their knowledge of His will so that they would walk worthy. Here's another way to state a worthy walk. And it is divine pleasure. Divine pleasure. Notice in the second part of verse 10. To please Him in all respects. So here's another way to talk about walking in a manner worthy of the Lord. Pleasing God in every way. So this is another goal of our growth in knowledge. In the knowledge of God's will. And so that we would please God in all respects. Now we think when we talk about pleasing God... We have to be careful, and I, I think I need to clarify the difference between pleasing God judicially and pleasing God relationally. Because in a judicial sense, in terms of God's courtroom, there's nothing more that we can do to please God, right? All that, that God requires of us is accomplished in whom? It's in Christ, right? So there's no more we can do. We don't add anything to what Christ did to please God on our behalf. We don't add anything to that. So in a judicial sense, as far as justification is concerned, we don't add to our salvation in that way. God is completely pleased with us in that way. However, what, what we're talking about, what Paul's talking about here, is in a relational way. Yes, we are in his family, but there's still this way inside of his family that we can relationally displease God. Right? Like, like for me and my family, I was... A child of my father, child of my mother, right? They weren't going to disown me, but I could still displease them, right? There's still things that I did that displeased my parents. And the same thing is true with God. It doesn't change the fact that I'm still part of his family. I still am. But I can be living in a way that displeases God. And so what Paul's saying is, as you grow in, in the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, you actually can be pleasing to God. That's the goal. We want to please God, not in just partial ways. We want to please Him in all, all respects. That's what the text says. I mean, this is clear when, 
Paul says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. If, if we can grieve God's Spirit, it means we can, diso- we can displease God's Spirit. We can displease God. And so, it doesn't affect our standing, right? Jesus has affected all that. That doesn't change. That's secure. But it does affect our, affect our relationship, the quality of our relationship. And so the implication that Paul's making here in verse 10 is that if we don't grow in spiritual knowledge, if we don't apply the Scriptures to our lives... Right in all wisdom and understanding, then we're not walking worthy of the Lord. We're not pleasing God in all respects. So when we pray for one another, we pray that we are growing in the knowledge of His will, in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so that we can be worthy of our calling, so that we can be pleasing to God. So what does this look like? What does pleasing God look like? Because I want to know. I want to see what... What, I, what is expected of me if I'm going to walk worthy of God? What does it look like? Well, Paul tells us in four ways. And he uses four gerunds to modify what a worthy walk or pleasing to God in all respect looks like. Now, gerund is an English term, so we have to go back to English class a little bit. A gerund is, is a verbal, it's a modifier that ends in ing. Okay? And, and Paul gives us four of those verbals in here. One of them is implied. The other three are pretty clear in our English translation. All these modify the main verb, which is to, to uh, grow in the knowledge of His will. The first gerund that we see is to bear fruit in everything. So we talk about these as terms as characters of a worthy walk or characteristics of, of what it looks like to please God. And the first is that we bear fruit in everything. Actually, let me show you all four then we'll come back to, and talk about each one. All right? To please Him in all respects. Here's the first one. You see that ending in ing? Bearing fruit. And then the second one, increasing in the knowledge of God at the end of verse 10. And then verse 11, we have to, we have to include the word being. So being empowered or being strengthened with all power. And then at the, uh, at the beginning of verse 12, giving thanks. So do you see those four gerunds or at least three of the four there in our English text? So the way that we're pleasing to God is by bearing fruit, increasing in knowledge, being strengthened, and by giving thanks. This is what God expects of us. This is not all He expects, but here's a helpful list to be thinking through uh, of how we have a worthy walk, how we please God in all respects. First is bearing fruit in everything. He says bearing fruit in every good work. This is one of the amazing pleasures of spiritual knowledge. One of the amazing pleasures of growing and understanding is that the knowledge and application of the Scriptures cause us to do what God is doing in us, which is to bear fruit in everything. Now, the Scriptures don't speak to every single area of life, okay? but, but they do speak to everything that God wants us to know. God has included in our copy of the Scriptures everything He wants us to know about His world and about Himself and about us. So if we want to bear fruit, then, then we need to be growing in the knowledge of His will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. That's what a worthy walk looks like. It looks like bearing fruit. Do I have that on there? Okay, good. Secondly, increasing in knowledge. At the end of verse 10, increasing in the knowledge of God. Homer Kent points out in his commentary that our goal is not just to get saved, and bear fruit one time. That would be like a tree that just 
grew and bore fruit one time. Right? Just got one apple from that tree. That was it. That's not the goal. The goal is to to see a better yield in the next year. Right? You want to see it continually bear fruit so that season after season after season is bearing fruit. That's what we want in the Christian life. We don't want to just get saved and then show one fruit and that's it. Now we float to the clouds on flowery beds of ease. No. We bear fruit for our whole life. We want to increase our yield, so to speak. And that's what God expects of us. This is how we are walking worthy of God. This is how we're pleasing to God, is by bearing fruit and increasing in our knowledge of Him. Thirdly, being empowered by God. Verse 11, being empowered by God. So, Bearing fruit, increasing in the knowledge of God. And here, I think we need to include being strengthened with all power according to His glorious might. I love the way that Paul states this. Um, Notice all the the similar, the, the synonyms, really, for the same kind of word. Being strengthened with all power according to His glorious might. Or we could say it this way. Being empowered with all power according to His powerful power being empowered with all power according to His powerful power. It's God's work that needs to happen. We need to be empowered by God. So this fruit-bearing, this knowledge-increasing work that we do doesn't happen because of our power. That's why in, in, in the opening prayer this morning, I was reminded about how God is the one who's behind it all. God's the one who, who sustains us. That's what Paul's going to say, actually. Uh, here in verses 15 and following, that Jesus is the one who holds all things together. Sometimes we go long periods of time in our life, sadly, without recognizing or, or forgetting about God's empowerment, that we need to be empowered by God. So the means by which we, we grow, the means by which we bear fruit, the means by which we increase in the knowledge of God is through God's power, His powerful power. We don't do this in our own strength. We do it through the strength that God supplies. What a great prospect that is for us. That we have the very power of God at our disposal. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead is the power that we have at our disposal to transform us spiritually. To change us from where we are to where we ought to be. And this power produces in us fruit. Notice what the fruit is there at the end of verse 11. For the attaining of all steadfastness and patience. So, if we're going to bear fruit, the way that it happens is through God's power. These two uh, words could also be called patience and long-suffering, which are two of the fruit of the Spirit. That is, when the Spirit does a work in a person, He doesn't just save them. He produces fruit in them. And, and, and they are love, joy, peace, patience. Patience is one of them. The long-suffering, right? So, so here's two of the ways that, that the Spirit produces something in us. As we're empowered by God, we're able to produce the fruit that He expects of us and cause it, it results in His pleasure of us. And then, fourthly, the fourth characteristic of a worthy walk or the fourth characteristic of pleasing God in every way is that we thank God joyfully in verse 12. Now, I'm, I'm including 
the last word in verse 11. Remember, the, the verse numbers are not inspired. None of the authors wrote with any of the numbers or chapters that we have in our Bibles. Okay, so you have to recognize it's written like a, a letter like you receive at your house. Um, people don't write line numbers on, on their letter so that when someone goes back 100 years from now and says, you know, turn to, to line number three of that letter that they sent to this person. No, and, and all of a sudden we take that out of context and, and use that. So, so we need to recognize that the, the original was written without these. These are simply for our help. And so these are not inspired. That's why I think it's better if you look at the, what Paul is saying. He's saying joyously giving thanks to the Father. So I think the joyously describes the giving thanks. It's a, we could say it with joy. And the reason I think that is because the other characteristics also have a descriptive kind of prepositional phrase, bearing fruit in every good work, increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power, giving thanks with joy. That's how I would understand it. If you take it the other way that it goes with verse 11, then I don't think it affects too much. But, but I think one of the characteristics of a worthy walk is that we thank God for his gifts, that we joyfully give thanks to God for what he's given to us. So we touched on this last week. One of the things that we should thank God for is one another. What God has done in the lives of other believers. Praise God for that. And the content of our thanksgiving is found at the end of verse 12, that He has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has qualified us. I love that word, qualified. We have the privilege of doing something that we don't deserve. We disqualified ourselves from sharing in the inheritance of the saints in light. But God has qualified us. We have that privilege of having that same inheritance that Jesus will receive. And the idea that we would join in the spiritual and future physical blessings that were initially promised to Jews only. You know, through you, Jews, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. That was the promise to Abraham. Somehow we now, as Christians, have been qualified to inherit spiritual blessings. And as we think of those things, it ought to cause us to joyously give thanks. And so what Paul's praying for in a, as a whole is that they would grow, that believers, you Colossians, would grow in the knowledge of His will in all spiritual, the way in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so that you would walk worthy of the Lord and please Him in all respects. And the way that you walk worthy is by bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God and being strengthened with His power and joyously giving thanks because you've been qualified to inherit the inheritance. So, first we ought to pray. We ought to pray for one another. Secondly, we ought to reflect on our exalted position. Okay, this is not a prideful thing, but re- reflect on what, what God has done, where, how He has exalted us from where we don't belong to where we are. Verses 13 and 14. Here he talks about the glory of the gospel in verse 13 and then the source of the gospel in verse 14. This is what he's praying that believers would recognize. That as you grow in the knowledge of His will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, that this is one of the results. That it causes believers to reflect on their exalted position. Notice what that is. The glory of this gospel in verse 13. For He rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son. The reason that Paul prays for these believers is because of their mutual inheritance in Christ. So this morning, Christian, consider your exalted position. 
You have been, verse 12, qualified to inherit spiritual blessings. And you have been, verse 13, rescued from the domain of darkness. The wording of rescued and this wording of rescued and being transferred reminds us of Old Testament Israel who was once once, uh, under the tyranny of Egypt, under the domain of Egypt. But they were rescued and transferred by the mighty power of God This is the picture of what happens to us in salvation. We were all under the dominion, the rule of darkness. We were blinded to the reality of God's worth and God's ways. But God rescued us from that domain. And He transferred us, notice at the end of verse 13, into the kingdom of His beloved Son. This is how Paul describes it in Acts 26. He says, to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the domain of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and inheritance among those who have been sanctified by faith in me. So God has transferred us from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of His Son. And again, I think this is talking about positionally. Okay, that we're currently not in the kingdom of Christ. Now, we have been granted citizenship into that kingdom, but that kingdom's still coming. You are not living in the kingdom of Christ right now. Now, in the largest sense, you're living under the rule, the kingdom of God. But the kingdom of Christ is where Christ will come to this earth physically, bodily, and reign on the throne of David. That time is still coming. We call it the millennial kingdom. It's 1,000 year reign of Christ described in Revelation 20 where Jesus will come. And so what he's saying here is you've been transferred out of the kingdom of darkness and into the kingdom of His beloved Son. He's saying in a positional sense. Just like in Ephesians 2 when Paul says, you have been seated in heavenly places in Christ. Any of you right now, physically, in heaven? No. Okay, as long as those of you with your eyes closed right now are, are awake, are alive, right? But, but we're not seated in the heavenly places right now. Right? It's, it's a positional thing. It's something that's promised to us, something that's guaranteed to happen. The same thing is true about being transferred into the kingdom of Christ. It's something that's positional. We're not there now. We still need to wait for Christ to, to establish His kingdom when He comes back after the tribulation. But God speaks of it as it's already done. We've already been granted that citizenship, and so praise God for that. Reflect on our exalted position, the glory of the gospel. Then the source of the gospel in verse 14. The source of the gospel in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Talking about the Son. The Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. The source of the Gospel taking root in our lives is that we have been redeemed. We have been bought back out of slavery to darkness and have been granted forgiveness of sins. You see, our greatest problem in all of life was that we were in opposition to God. And Christ took care of our greatest problem by granting us forgiveness of sins through His substitutionary death. He died as our substitute so that in His death all who believe in Him as the only means of salvation will be redeemed. They will be forgiven of their sins. And so what a great thing to reflect on for believers. For us this morning, but also... For, for us to be praying for other believers to, to reflect on those things. So let me give you a couple points of application. First, 
walk worthy of the Lord. The characteristics of a life that please God are that a person bears fruit, grows in the knowledge of God, is strengthened by the power of God, and joyfully gives thanks to God. So do that. Walk worthy of God. Please God in all respects. Do those four things characterize you? Are you characterized as a person who bears fruit spiritually? Are you a person who grows in your knowledge of God? Are you being strengthened by God's power? Are you joyfully giving thanks to God? Is your goal in life to know God? Or are you simply using Him for your own means? In other words, is God the source of your strength? Or is He simply a a vending machine where you can get what you want from Him? Despite the challenges and the persecutions, is your life marked by thanksgiving to God for the great privilege and the greatest privilege that any person could ever know? And that is to be accepted by God and the Beloved. To be called God's child. To be a member of Christ's future kingdom. Is that your great goal in life? To dwell in those things and to be marked by thanksgiving. Walk worthy of the Lord. Please Him in all ways. Are you getting better at it? Is, is, is there a progress that's going on in life? Is there something visible that you can see that is tangible You can see over time that that there's been some progress spiritually. I mean, have you grown in the knowledge of God's Word over the last five or ten years? What about your application of it? Has it just become boring or mundane so that you can easily go through a Scripture reading time or a church service and not ever really think about how to apply it to your life? Or have you gotten better at applying the Scriptures to your life? Does your knowledge only improve academically? Or does it actually affect the way that you live when you leave this place? Or when you talk to people in this place? Or when you spend the rest of your week away from this group of people? What about the sins in your life that that were such a great struggle to you five years ago? Do you still struggle with them to the same degree? Or has the Word of God and its effect on you had the power to actually release you from obeying that sin? Allowing that sin to be your master because you have a greater master in Christ. Is the Gospel changing you? The means by which you will be pleasing to God, the means by which you walk worthy of your calling, is by growing in your spiritual knowledge. So you need to grow in your spiritual knowledge. Don't think, you know, academics is for other people. I'm not saying you need to go get a degree. I'm saying you need to you need to understand the Scriptures more. I need to understand the Scriptures more. They don't have the effect that they ought to on my life. They don't cause me to grow as much as I should because of my resistance to the Word. If you want to know God, if you want to please God, you need to know His Word. To walk worthy of the Lord means that we must apply the Scriptures to our life. So, that's the first application I wanted to mention. But the main application is this. Pray for the sanctification of believers. This is the main point of our text this morning. Pray like Paul. 
your most basic prayer for your fellow believers ought to be for their spiritual knowledge. So how often do you pray for your fellow believers? And in those regular prayers for your fellow Christians by name, do you make it a habit of praying for them that they would grow in their spiritual knowledge? Or do you only pray in times of desperation? You know, they're kind of at the, at the, the edge of spiritual disaster. And so now, this is really what I'm going to pray for them. Or do you only pray when you feel like it? You haven't made it a habit or a routine. You haven't worked to include it in your schedule. You know, if, if I get enough time this week, then I'll pray. If I don't, I don't. It's kind of just an extra thing. Let me encourage you to develop the discipline of prayer. Everything that's worth something demands our discipline. And, and if prayer is worth anything... If, if God uses our prayers in any way, and I believe He does, then we need to discipline ourselves to pray. And so would you serve our church by praying for each individual in our church? And instead of praying only for temporary things, temporal things, things that don't have a big, you know, they, they don't affect too much in, uh, in, in terms of the large scheme of things, sore leg or job conflict, can I encourage you that, that the primary thing that you should be concerned about and you should be praying about is for their spiritual knowledge. There is a real battle going on, not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and the forces of wickedness and heavenly places that are fighting and warring against believers in this church. And they're trying to derail them spiritually. And if you're not praying for them, if we are not praying for them, let's say, let's say it this way, if our church is not praying for someone who is on the edge of spiritual disaster, who is? Paul says, I have not ceased praying for you. I'm constantly remembering you in my prayers. So pray for the sanctification of your fellow believers. Pray that they would grow in the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. And, and I often just take this passage. In fact, I have this on my regular prayer time. I just have this passage, verses 1 to 14. And I pray this prayer for you specifically by name, often. Final thought. Reflect on your great position in Christ. The great joy of a Christian is the reality of forgiven sins, verses 13 and 14. Great joy in our life is not about how much money we have. It's not about how many degrees or the current position that we hold. It's not about the influence that we have. It's not about the number of people that work for us at our job or at church. The greatest joy, the greatest thing that can describe us is that we are called a child of God. That God has qualified us to share in the inheritance with the saints in light. It's about being rescued. It's about being forgiven. That's what our life is all about. That's what, great, that, that's what describes us in the greatest way. Redeemed how I love to proclaim it. Redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. Redeemed through His infinite mercy, His child and forever, I am. Redeemed. Redeemed. Redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. Redeemed. Redeemed. His child and forever, I am.
We, with Fanny Crosby, have much to be thankful for because we are the children of God. What are you doing with that calling? Are you walking worthy of that calling? Are you praying for other believers to, to be counted worthy as well? Let's pray. Father, I'm thankful for the spiritual strength that you provide through your individual comfort as it comes through your word. Thankful for the strength that comes from other believers who help hold me up in times of trouble through words of encouragement and through specific prayers. And I pray that you would improve, help us to improve the way that we pray, the the frequency of our prayer, the seriousness of our prayer, uh, the quantity of our prayer, the focus of our prayer, the the content, or it's not just about physical things, although we we ought to bring all of our anxieties before you, and, and it's right to pray for all things. But Lord, the focus of our prayer ought to be on spiritual things primarily and for the growth of believers. Lord, the means by which you bring about spiritual growth is through the prayers of your people. So, Lord, would you help us to be faithful in that way, to pray for one another. Thank you for the godly believers in here who who are consistent in that and bear fruit in this way. May you bless them and teach us how to pray like that. Help us to be to be faithful in the way that we pray for one another and to learn from these other godly believers who would do the same. We pray for your help, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.